This week, we start off with a technical segment, walking through creating vulnerable Docker containers on purpose with more vulnerable software inside the Docker containers. Then Derek Rook, from uh, a senior director for Purple Team at Teradata, and SAN certified instructor joins us to discuss technologies to build CTFs, as well as what types of things to consider while doing so. In the security news, the FBI is spamming you. Hacking exists in the mind. Beg bounties. Nasty top-level domain. Moses staff. Why we own one? Why own one npm package when you can own them all? How much is your O-Day worth? UPnP strikes again when patches break exploits in weird ways. Records exposed in strip chat leak. Can we block? Just block ICMP. Trojans in your Ida suing Satoshi Nakamoto, paying to be in the Mile High Club. It was the cilantro and sexy VR furniture. All that and more on this episode of Paul Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly for security professionals by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. Cybersecurity is about more than just technology. It's about how people behave with emails, data, and cloud applications that directly impacts your company's security posture. Security works best when it's ingrained in the culture of your organization. To learn how to build a security culture and transform your employees from targets into a strong line of defense, head to securityweekly.com forward slash proofpoint and visit their cybersecurity awareness center. Ladies and gentlemen, from G-Unit Studios, I have the honor and privilege of presenting to you Mr. Paul Asadorian. Welcome everyone to Paul's Security Weekly. It's episode number 719, recorded on November 17th, 2021, here at G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island. Joining me remotely, Mr. Josh Marpet is here with us. Josh, welcome. Thank you very much, sir. Nice to have you. Mr. Jeff Mann is here with us. Jeff, welcome. Always good to be here, Paul. I miss you guys. I have to split my time these days between this and a virtual happy hour on Wednesday night. So this week is your week. Oh, we are so blessed. I mean, we're a virtual. I guess you got to pick between virtual happy hours because we're a virtual multiple happy hour. Happy hours. We're more like a virtual binge, but whatever. It's true. (laughs) We're we're a lot of things. Moving right along. (laughs) Hopefully Tyler Robinson will be joining us uh, this evening as well. Uh, quick announcement, uh, a new announcement. SciHub Armenia, in cooperation with Security Weekly, is happy to announce its next batch of incubation programs, which aim to supercharge the growth of early-stage cybersecurity startups. We're looking for founders from anywhere in the world to join us for a three-month mentor-driven 100% virtual program. The best teams will have the opportunity to get up to $50,000 in funding, and then we'll do everything possible to make sure they're successful. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash acceleration to apply now. Myself and uh, many of the folks here at Security Weekly are also volunteering to be advisors uh, in this program. So it's certain to be a lot of fun. So make sure you do that. Alrighty. Let's see. So wait, 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 wait. Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait. Question so, about. Let me ask you a question, Paul. Sci-Hub Armenia, have you ever been an advisor or part of a, an, uh, an accelerator before? 
Um, I've not done advising for an acceleration program. However, I do advise a company called Eluria based out of Armenia. Hey, good, good plug for our fine friends at Eluria Security out in Armenia. So, I mean, so uh, accelerators are fascinating. And I mean, honestly, we could talk about this for a while. So I'll shut up because we need to get into your tech segment. Mm. But I think it's going to be, uh, I, I literally just found out about this uh, getting on the show tonight. And I was like, ooh, 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 I'll be an advisor. I'll be an advisor. So I'm going to get signed up for that. But uh, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, honestly, you, you realize that as an advisor, you're signing up to teach some classes too, right? Uh, well, in this program, it's as uh, much as you want to put into it. Right. So you can advise like as much or as little and we'll share the workload. I mean, not that I'm opposed to, to teaching, but yeah. Okay. 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 Because the, it, I, I went through Mach 37 down in Herndon, Virginia. Yeah. And from, it was a three month program, same exact thing. But my experience was that it was an entrepreneurial MBA. That's what I call it. It right. was fascinating. I, I learned more about financial modeling and spreadsheets than any human being should ever know. And it yes. was terrifying in its own way. Um, but yes, and Matt Alderman is going to be one of the advisors. So that that's his shtick. Yeah. Well, that's, that's his world, man, for God's <laughs> sakes. But, uh, you've got the financial modeling, you've got the product management, you've got workforce management, how to get advisors, how to get funded, uh, how to sell your product market fit. There's a lot of different topics. So it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, Jeff could come on there and talk about payment processing and how to get money for your stuff. I'm just saying <laughs> if he was interested, we're signing everyone up. That's it. Um, on to our technical segment for this evening. Um, I had to fill, fill a slot in the show. So this is a kind of where Paul's at, uh, in the next evolution of some of the technical work that I've been doing. And as many of our listeners know, we got, I think, to a pretty good spot with our net 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 scan Slack bot, whatever I called it, net net something Slack bot, the script that scans your network, um, try some default passwords, and sends you a notification on Slack. And kind of where I was at, the script was pretty happy where it was feature wise, and I wanted to do some more testing. And I'm like, well, to do some testing, I need some targets that I can test with. And so I thought. I really should spin up some Docker containers and have some vulnerable Docker containers that, that I can scan. And maybe that will give me some ideas as to where I might want to take the script next. Basically simulate being in a really vulnerable, okay, so maybe simulate being in just about any organization's <laughs> internal network and what targets might, uh, might appear. So Paul, I, you don't have to simulate being vulnerable. We all know that you're vulnerable and sensitive and warm. I wanted to be, you know what it was, Josh? I wanted to be more vulnerable. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. And so, I mean, they're the juiciest when, when they're vulnerable. But uh, so I did some research and I found some great projects out there that I started basing some uh, of my work on. Um, the first is Volhub. Volhub's awesome. Volhub has a GitHub repository with probably i would say maybe 50 vulnerable containers already like pre-configured ready to go running vulnerable versions of lots of lots of different pieces of software so if you're embarking on this journey it's interesting we're going to talk to derek next about setting up a ctf derek and i'm actually talking about like how do you set up these vulnerable labs um and get these vulnerable containers this is one way uh, I'll give a, a shout out to the folks at Pentester Academy. Uh, Vivek does an amazing job. 
if you want something that's like really polished with labs to step through, Pentester Academy is definitely the way to go. If you're looking to, like in my case, test custom scripts or, you know, do highly customizable stuff, uh, Volhub was a great starting point because they're all pre-configured to be vulnerable. So in my research, I also found that like, it's great that you get this library of vulnerable Docker containers, but I want to spin up, like selectively spin up these Docker containers in with specific configurations. And when I was looking on the internet, I found uh, someone else on, on GitHub, a company, I think it's a company called 6.6, um, had put out this shell script called vulnerables.sh. And it allows you to select Docker containers from Volhub to run, and it lets you run them, which I thought was pretty cool. So I took, I've added my own vulnerable Docker container to uh, my Volhub kind of directory. I haven't published this yet on our GitHub. It will all be published to our GitHub. So I created one of my own uh, vulnerable Docker containers, and I based it on uh, a Telnet container that I found in another GitHub repository that was actually broken uh, that I had to fix. Um, can, I, can I interrupt yeah. and just ask a really stupid question? Mm-hmm. Why is no. something like Telnet still available, especially in our modern serverless software-only containerized world? Uh, you, you have to kind of go Total out of your amusement. way to get it into that containerized world, Jeff. I'll show you okay. how how I did that, but yeah, it's it's not there by but default. It's not it's 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 not a default. Uh, yeah, something that somebody's going to have that they accident that they know they need to disable or anything like that. Correct, correct. Yeah, but yeah, a lot yeah, of stuff worry. still, you know, as we somebody... know, a lot of stuff still runs Telnet, and my script supports Telnet. So I needed mm. some other Telnet host and be able to maybe emulate some different kinds of Telnet hosts, which is hopefully where I can take it next, because Telnet is still out there. Not just on the internet, but on people's internal networks as well. Oh, Josh, IoT, DVRs, all sorts of stuff. Tell them that's out there. Mm-hmm. And and don't worry, Jeff. You know, Paul's plan is to build a container that that he can use for for day to day usage with Pine for mail and links for browsing and finger. <laughs> that would actually be a really funny distro to put together. Can you can you put a, an Emacs? Uh, yep. There you go. On it for editing. Okay. <laughs> Or new Emacs. I don't know which way you roll. Either one is We're not, not as good as... More on VI <laughs> Either one is not as good as okay. VI. In any case, yeah, right. uh, so <laughs> I modified I my uh, vulnerables.sh script to do stuff that I wanted it to do. And then the nice part about spinning up these vulnerable Docker containers is they contain vulnerabilities that you can start playing around with exploits. So I'm not too far down that path as some of these containers in Volhub will spin up vulnerable software but not necessarily configure it for you um, so I've started to, to kind of go down that path and I think I really want to automate some of these uh, configurations uh, as well so so wait a minute so Volhub has lots of vulnerable containers correct but some of them aren't vulnerable yet because they haven't been the, the, the vulnerable uh, aspects applications daemons whatever haven't been configured so some of them Correct. are actually not vulnerable by default. Uh, or they're still vulnerable but not functional. And I, I think okay. like oh, all that, that variations of it, right? Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah, like and the, you the, wanted... the Tomcat one, I don't think, I mean, it's just the default, but you can still prove a vulnerability. It was the, I think, Joomla one that in your, your correct, Josh, right? The exploit wouldn't work because I hadn't configured the database yet. 
And then when I configured the database, I ran into issues and then I ran out of time to fix those. But like I said, everything that I'm doing here is going to, well, I'm going to post to uh, Security Weekly's GitHub uh, server. Okay, so you'll build, you'll build like Ansible playbooks or something similar, Chef, or Salt or whatever, that'll spin these up fully configured, fully ready to rock and roll and be exploited. That's what I'm uh, hoping. So yeah, part of it. I may That's take cool. like this shell script that I found. I may convert that to Python, and I may use Docker configuration um, to to get all this kind of spun up uh, correctly and working. So I mean, we'll we'll see. It depend also depends on my requirements too. One of my requirements were was to find web applications that require usernames and passwords, or maybe have default usernames and passwords, so I can bake those into my default password checking script and have checks that can actually send post requests for authentication uh, and do, but to do that, I need a bunch of vulnerable web apps and, and services. So that's where I'm at. So this is the vulnerables.sh uh, script um, that, that is, was on GitHub that I found. And so, <clears throat> you know, obviously one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that when you're working with stuff that's intentionally vulnerable, like don't leak it out on the internet or put it in places where it's going to easily. I mean, this stuff is highly put it in production, highly put vulnerable it in production. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some people do, but don't do that. Um, and in fact, I haven't tackled the networking piece of it yet. So these containers spin up and, and basically will only listen on my local host. So you'll see me using localhost for that. I think future iterations could do some more with the Docker networking components to build a network that's maybe separate, or maybe you do want to put this on your, your local network or a segmented local network. So uh, I'm going to experiment with some networking configurations. For now, this will run all on your machine. Um, very important, whenever you're spinning up all these containers on the same host, they can only listen at, on one port at a time. Now, you can map ports from your host into the container. And I made a, a comment, you see the host colon container, as a reminder to myself that in the Docker configs, in your Docker compose YAML files, that when you specify the ports, it's host, so the port you want to be listening on, on the host, colon, then the port that that will map to inside the container. So you could have a dozen containers that their internal applications are listening on port 80, but on your host, you can map different ports and they'll all map back to, map, map back to each individual container on port 80. So it's operating like a netcat reverse proxy mm -hmm. bastard child. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's one of those Docker kind of things, right? I do so, like that. Um, in this slide then now on the source code is the there you're basically building an array in a bash script which when I first looked at this I was like I probably want to convert this to Python I mean because you can do it in bash but I just think it's it's more flexible and actually easier to understand if you're gonna uh, do it in Python rather than bash but it, it works in in a bash script um, so each of these uh, elements in the containers array is, a directory uh, or uses your directory so I called it you know dot slash vulnhub is where I put all my vulhub um, vulhub v-u-l-h-u-b all my vulnerable containers live in that directory then the containers array you say the directory where vulhub is then php my admin cve docker compose right 
so you're giving it the Docker Compose YAML file for each of the vulnerable services that you want to spin up. So in my example, I actually changed their default because I wanted different web applications uh, to be able to scan for vulnerabilities, but also that may have usernames and passwords to log into them that I could configure so I could further test my script. So I chose PHP MyAdmin, Jenkins, Joomla, uh, Tomcat for my web applications. Then I spun up one for OpenSSH so I could scan SSH um, systems or a container for that. And then I made, I didn't make my own, I borrowed someone else's <laughs> GitHub repository that had, I think for like a student project, uh, had created a Telnet server that lived inside of a Docker container and it actually wasn't working. And, and so I, I, I fixed that for him so that I could have a, a Telnet server to test different Telnet uh, credentials. It's really cool. That is kind of really cool. <laughs> <laughs> this right because it is so, you, and I'll show you in that container how you can add different users. You can change the default root password. So, like as a script to uh, or a container that will help me test my default password uh, script, uh, uh, that would be really useful. And I'll, I'll show you kind of where I'm at with that. Um, there's some functionality in this shell script that hasn't been implemented. So like the functionality to randomly choose six vulnerable containers uh, and list all available containers is not there. Um, again, I think if I were to start implementing this functionality, I'd probably flip this to Python. It does a, a decent job of checking. Uh, one thing I do, do like about the vulnerables.sh script is it does some really good, uh, decent checking. Now, it checks whether the vulhub folder exists. I had to actually change that. Um, it, it that line, this line like right here. Can I highlight that? Uh, nope, I can't highlight it. I can click on it and go to. Okay, so um, if the directory does not uh, exist, this directory was actually hard coded to Volhub and not the variable directory, uh, which I thought was kind of an oversight. So I checked to make sure the directory that you told me your Volhub files are in are there. We check to make sure that Docker and Docker Compose exist before we can run the script. Uh, and they did a decent job of that uh, in, in Bash. Okay, so then uh, they defined some functions in the Bash script for starting all of the containers. And basically, they just loop through the array of the container YAML, Docker Compose YAML files you gave it, and they do a Docker Compose up. Uh, on each one of those to bring up the running containers. Pretty basic shell scripting kind of thing. I added this function called dump, which dumps all of the YAML configuration uh, file contents out to the screen for each of them, which is handy to remember, like what port did I map that container to? Because each of these have to have a unique port. This map, um, you'll notice in the comments, I tried to say like this container that's running PHP my admin is listening on port 8084. So I have to go to localhost colon 8084 to get PHP my admin. Um, so I just added a quick function for that. I, I could probably do way better than that and like list out like, hey, for PHP my admin, go to this URL and actually spit those URLs out to the screen. Um, so th this needs some further uh, refinement. Uh, again, this was a proof of concept to make sure I could make all this work essentially. Uh, and then you've got uh, the stop command, which goes to each of those Docker containers and does bring them down uh, and stop them, which is pretty cool. And this is just the code that calls all of those functions uh, in your shell script. 
Uh, so start, stop, dump. And then they wanted to implement them one that was like list. Um, like I think they were trying to plan for this to be an interface to all of the containers in Volhub, but that would require, I think, customizing the config of each of those in the Volhub repository. Uh, also of note, there is a, a Python Flask app in the Volhub repository that hasn't been updated in like three years that I think was meant to be like a web interface for spinning up all these containers. So it looks like multiple people have kind of toyed around with this and then kind of then kind of stopped for whatever reason. The Volhub Git repo, though, is forked by like 7,000 projects. Um, so this is a lot of code that's in, in active use for spinning up vulnerable containers. Wait, wait, wait. How many? It's like 7,000, dude. No way. If you go to GitHub, where's my link? GitHub.com slash Volhub. Tell me how many forks they have. Are they the biggest like source for vulnerable containers or something? That's what it appears to be. That's how I knew I was, I was working with the right project, right? So generically speaking, this huge repository of vulnerable containers is out there for what purpose? So that you can is it all for all for testing or is it supposed to be okay when you're building a container if your container looks anything like one of these change it uh well both but more the former right if okay. i'm if i'm a bug bounty hunter mm-hmm. or i'm trying to write exploits or i'm i have exploits and i'm i'm trying to figure out like how they work like i've got someone else's exploits and i i want to be a pen tester and i want to see if i can break into a web app I'm going to go get an exploit or spin up Metasploit or whatever it is, and I need a vulnerable application uh, to do that with. I, I like I like this concept with these vulnerable containers because it's actual web apps running. It's not like WebGoat or uh, some of the other ones where someone has written a web application to be vulnerable on purpose. These containers are older versions of real software that contain vulnerabilities. And that's what I like about it. Um, it's like 3,000 forks. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, it's like 3,000 forks, right? They're literally all over. Like, there's so like people have personally done it. Unbelievable. It's pretty wild, huh? Oh, man. This is this has got to be like the biggest container of vulnerable containers around. That's kind right. of, wow. It was something that I was like toying with building myself. Uh like last year, I was like, we should really like have this repository of vulnerable containers, allow people to spin them up in like different ways. We, and then when a new exploit is released for Tomcat, we can go in and spin up the container and we can test exploits that are coming out and understand how they work. And lo and behold, you click your heels uh, three times, go on the internet and someone's created it. At least that's how I think it works. Um, so once you run the vulnerable script, now you've got all this wonderful vulnerable software running uh on on your system which you should use great caution not to expose this to to the internet uh or other places where there might be hackers uh but uh so here you can see php my admin is running again this is great if you've never seen php my admin you're just learning how to do pen testing i mean maybe you're just learning how to do php my admin stuff legitimately and you want to spin up an instance and you want to screw it up and revert or you want to try exploits that i mean there's tons of exploits for php my admin. i mean some of them don't even require an exploit like when the container spins up it doesn't ask me for a username and password so this could also be like 
I want to be good at configuring things and defending and locking things down. So let me take this PHP my admin container and then let me try and make it more secure. So there's a lot of really cool stuff that you can do to practice your skills in uh, this kind of lab setting. Uh, and then, of course, you know, I got to try exploits. Now that I got vulnerable software running, the hacker in me is like, wait, how do I exploit that vulnerability? Like, this is a vulnerable version of PHP my admin. Turns out well, it does have a really cool file include vulnerability. Um, so there is the Etsy password file uh, via a uh, remote file include uh, vulnerability that exists in this version of PHP my admin. Jeff. So since it's just us, I'll, I'll keep asking silly questions so I can learn. Mm. Uh, is, is the nature of the vulnerable container more in the container itself, or is it more dependent on what you're actually trying to run inside the container, or is it you know some combination of the two? Yeah, it's a good point, and I, it's hard to convey that in the title of the tech segment, right? Mm -hmm. These are not containers, although you probably could use it for this way, but they're not containers to test the vulnerabilities in Docker. Mm -hmm. They are containers to test and work with the vulnerabilities in the software that's inside the container. So okay. Docker is the shell that is allowing me to spin up PHP my admin. And my target right. is PHP my admin. And what I want to work with is, is PHP my admin. Certainly there could be uh, other uh vulnerabilities or mi it, misconfiguration in docker that mm. if i've got a remote file included in php my admin maybe i do want to test if i can break outside of the docker container um and you could certainly modify the configuration uh and or docker version that you're running although i don't suggest running older versions of docker you may have other issues um to test for those uh actually in uh, Pentest Academy, they've got a whole section of labs that lets you do Docker container uh, exploits and, and uh, uh, breakouts. That's where, I, that's where I would go if I wanted to test that stuff because I think setting up that, those things specifically is a little more tricky in your lab environment. So my next sort of nuanced question is, are, is the nature of the vulnerabilities that you're setting up in these vulnerable containers uh, more associated with whatever applications you're trying to run in and of itself, or is it how they're being run within the container and how uh, they're being configured? A little of both. Container. However, Volhub, Volhub, Jeff, is, um, has PHP MyAdmin, for example, and they've got mm -hmm. a subdirectory for like two specific CVEs. Sort of okay. like this version that where they built a container is this CVE, and then this other container is a slightly different version, it has this CVE. So you actually have multiple, it's a great question, right? Multiple uh, container builds in each of these master folders, like phpMyAdmin um, has mm -hmm. like, I think three different container builds. They present you with three diff slightly different vulnerabilities based on CVE, which tells me it, it's probably not the, it could be the config, that enables that CVE to be accessible, right? But it is probably some combination. Josh? How about, uh, yeah, so, I mean, okay, so you've got different vulnerabilities, and this is like the, the same idea that damn vulnerable Linux or, you know, all, all of the different distros out there that are there, uh, 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 metasploitable, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, that are out there to so you can play with them and learn how to, how to exploit, learn how to do things, learn what to look for, and it's great, don't get me wrong, not dissing it in any way, shape, or form. 
But are there any that are about the container itself, not just how to attack exploit, whether it's in a container or out of a container? Because it's the same exploit, whether it's in a container or out of a container. It's just how do I attack it inside a container? Um, are there any about the about bad containers themselves? Are there any about bad orchestration, like yes. yeah, badly set up Kubernetes? Correct. There um, is um, a Kubernetes uh, CTF. I can't remember the name of it, okay. um, but it's out there. If you Google, you could probably find it, but someone did set up like a vulnerable on purpose Kubernetes environment. And okay. what's interesting is I'll let Derek talk about that in the next segment, but Derek and I okay. did start talking about if you were to create a CTF or build a vulnerable lab, why or why not would you use Kubernetes? And I'll <laughs> let Derek answer that because he's got a better answer. Actually, He's actually tried it. So, I mean, there's Rancher, there's Keith, 3S, there's Kubernetes, there's various yep. other flavors. So I, yeah, I'm sure absolutely. that there's vulnerabilities in several or all of them. Right. And I think those orchestration things should be tested just as heavily as the containers or the applications or whatever. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That but I mean, for, me, other... for me, like, I just wanted to test the vulnerabilities in software. Like, my goals were Valid. I want to write my script to detect uh, default passwords in devices, but also in I want to extend it to web applications. So I need some web applications running that I can either make vulnerable or set up with default passwords. And then now that I've got these and they're vulnerable, in other words, the revision of the software that I'm running inside the container is old enough where it has actual vulnerabilities above and beyond a default username and password, perhaps um, I can test exploits as they come out. So when there's a new exploit for Tomcat, I can spin up the container with that vulnerable version and I can go try that exploit and see how it works. You know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm going to go a little metaphysical here for a little, little philosophical here for a second, but I mean, at, at a certain point to become a pen tester or stay up to, up to par as mm -hmm. a pen tester, you've got to have a, a lab full of vulnerable, vulnerable distros, vulnerable, mm -hmm. no, sorry, vulnerable applications, vulnerable distros, vulnerable, vulnerable VMs, vulnerable hypervisors, vulnerable containers, Say vulnerable twenty times fast, goddamn. Mm. Uh, vulnerable uh, uh, orchestrators. I mean, vulnerable hardware. It, it's it's getting a little ridiculous. Mm. You need a lot of vulnerable stuff. But you, I also yeah. Uh, but I also think right for pen testers, it's great to be able to spin up like this PHP my admin, do the exploit and practice. Be like, okay, so if like if I do see this, here's how I would do it. Okay, but if it's running in Docker and configured this way. Here's how we would pivot from a PHP MyAdmin exploit into a Docker container breakout, and I can practice that. From the Defender oh, no, uh, side, yeah. right, this is hugely useful because I can spin up maybe the same version of PHP. Hopefully, you're not using PHP MyAdmin in, in production, but let's just say you are. And I'm going to spin up PHP MyAdmin, and I'm going to go... Okay, it's vulnerable in this way. It's vulnerable to this exploit, or it's vulnerable when it's configured this way. Now, I want to correct that. I want to put in some mig mitigating control. I can do that in a lab and practice it. Then I can go to my developers or my sysadmins and say, like, hey, I think if we configure it this way, it will, one, still work, and two, mitigate this, this vulnerability. And so you can practice not just the offense, but the defense as well, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, also, we get Jenkins. I did not try any Jenkins uh, exploits, but there are several uh, out there. 
And uh, also, I like Jenkins for my purposes, as you can uh, require a login, um, so I can test for some credentials on on Jenkins, perhaps uh, in my script. So Jenkins is a, a CI/CD uh, pipeline tool. Paul, I got to tell you this: I just ran a showdown report on PHP My Admin, sixty-eight thousand five hundred and two. Okay, so I mean, some people are running it. Hopefully, those are mostly honeypots, but you know, <laughs> no comment. Uh, I, I did get Joomla uh, half running, right? Get you this configuration screen, and there's some steps that you have to do, um, and I ran into errors doing that, but uh, I do plan to make Joomla uh, functioning uh, inside of the environment, so I had that listening on a different port. Uh, lots of nice exploits and stuff to practice with on Joomla. Tomcat is running, and it's interesting. I've actually uh, done some vulnerable containers previously with with apache tomcat which got me thinking about uh creating something similar to volhub uh and thankfully they have done that um so tomcat is running um and it is uh vulnerable this is actually uh an exploit uh for the ajp service that listens on port 8009 you can exploit this service to read any web accessible file within the apache tomcat uh, directory structure. Um, so I'm reading the web.xml uh, thing. It's kind of a lame exploit, but I did find a, a Python-based exploit and did test it, and it did work. Um, so that was pretty cool. Uh, and then I did include a, an SSH server. And in the SSH server is actually vulnerable to some CVEs, but I wanted it more so that I could run SSH locally with in a container with a specific set of credentials so that when I ran my default password checker script, I could have this container uh, have specific credentials like default username, uh, pi, password, raspberry, and make sure my script was able to successfully test for that. So you can totally spin up SSH uh, inside of containers. And I just reuse something in, in Volhub uh, to recreate that. So I can actually successfully log into the container running SSH. And uh, by default, it puts it on ports 222. All right. Now for the fun part of spinning up a container that's going to listen on uh, with a Telnet daemon on port 23. So uh, I linked to the uh, individual's uh, GitHub repository that created this script initially. The changes I made, he had... Uh, Ubuntu 17.04 or 17.10, one of the 17 train versions of Ubuntu. That uh, version of Ubuntu is so old that the container actually won't build. It actually can't reach some of the <laughs> repos uh, to download all of the packages uh, to actually build the container. Uh, so the first thing I did, I said, okay, well, let me base mine on 18.04. Uh, at least I know that one is still supported, even though 20.04 is the latest version. Uh, they're still supporting 18.04, to my knowledge, to a certain capacity, right? So that helped a lot, obviously. Um, and then I install uh, the Telnet D, XINet D, OpenSSL, some basic utilities, some basic Docker stuff in there to remove and clean the packages. Um, then I add a user. So... I want to test certain credentials in my script, such as default username, uh, admin, password Cisco uh, for my default Telnet credentials. Uh, and the way you do that is with that command right there. Um, so user add 
Crap, what does the dash R mean? I think that's the only one. I don't know. I think, I don't remember what that is. Uh, you know, R or M is admin privileges, and I don't remember what the other one does. But one of those is give the user um, uh, ad administrative or root level uh, privileges. D is your home directory. S is your shell. P is your password. And your password, you can use an open SSL command that takes a string like Cisco and turns it into the hash that the password file or shadow file will uh, correctly be able to read. Um, so that's a little command line trickery to do that. And then the last parameter is your username. Then you can also change uh, the next line that says echo root colon T-O-O-R um, and redirect that, or I'm sorry, pipe that to the change password command will change the password of the current user, uh, which is root. So I'm changing the root password inside this container uh, to a default password of T-O-O-R, which will also be accessible via Telnet, which is something I can test in my script. Uh, this next block of code I did not touch. Uh, this creates uh, a service uh, that runs by default uh, in this instance of Ubuntu. <clears throat> and then I did not change the entry point and the command that's run, which essentially just starts the Telnet uh, server um, and, and don't fork and stay alive means just keep it running as a daemon, right? Uh, this little box mm -hmm. over here to the right is my Docker Compose file. So this file that we're looking at right here is my Docker file. This little box on the right is my Docker Compose file, uh, which basically just tells it to build this container, uh, make sure TTY is enabled, and map it to port 23. And when you do that, you can tell that to localhost with all of the insecure logins that you created, which is pretty awesome. And test your script, and now you've got Telnet. Which is pretty fun. Yeah, with it. authentication turned off and the, the 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 password protection that a four year old could get by. Yes, that was my goal. <sighs> got a bit. Got to be able to test my script now. God, so, I know, but it works. I, it works. I have, That's really. Cool. I have nothing but more silly questions. Silly questions. Uh, Go for it. Is there a way in what you're setting up in terms of using containers to set up vulnerable? uh configurations sorry if i'm not using the right terminology that are uh vulnerable because of the ability to exploit trust relationships absolutely there is uh, that that's a really good uh exercise i mean that could be my first thought is docker specific so mm -hmm. you can configure a set of Docker containers that share resources and have access right. to each other. And so yeah. like uh, the application we all know and love that we use called PPWorks uh, is mm -hmm. actually, it used to be three containers, but uh, a series of containers that the first one is the web application and the web app container and the application server container are restricted as to what ports, right? So port 443 is exposed on the, the web container. When you make re web requests and the web server goes, oh, that needs to go to the application server. That should only talk on a certain port uh, mm -hmm. on the application container. And then the application container can only talk to the database container. The 
web container can't talk to the database container. And then you can configure storage. So you can say the web uh, server container and the app server container share this volume uh, that can contain files. Uh, and you can set specific permissions on that volume. So you could configure a, a air quotes real application like that and then mm-hmm. try to exploit those trust relationships uh, almost I mean we're going to talk next about CTFs right but like right. my goal would be you got to get on the web app or the web server container and only until you do that can you get to the web app container and once you have access to the web app container then you can get to the database container and start to exploit those trust relationships yeah and i guess the the underlying question is i'm i'm trying to imagine uh, other uses for what you're setting up here mm-hmm. bes- besides just simply testing the pen testers, but also I'm wondering, well, you know, I'll put it in the form of a question. Are you primarily setting up this environment to test tools that are supposed to find this stuff, or are you trying to set it up like for a CTF environment where somebody's going to, you know, maybe discover some clues and, in, 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 you know, doing some sort of you know, port scanning or whatever. And then, you know, they're more or less doing some sort of manual things that will work because you've created an environment that's vulnerable. I, I guess, you know, the question is to what degree is this set up to test technologies and whether they're up to snuff or versus you know you're really trying to teach a pen tester with some of the old-fashioned manual techniques yeah i'm trying to test tools and primarily you know pen testers i mean maybe Mm -hmm. maybe defenders as well um Mm -hmm. but i'm mostly testing tools right i mean that we have a whole product uh labs testing division here at the cyber risk alliance and so we have to test the tools, you know, that are coming through the lab. And I want some right. better frameworks and setups to be able to test some of these tools like vulnerability scanners, like web application scanners uh, and, and things of the like. So uh, that's what I'm, well, I'm starting to use this, these projects that I kind of glom together to be able to basically customize my own lab so that I can test like tools and, and solutions. Some of those are the ones that I write, some of them are open source and some of them are commercial, but you know, I want this lab to be able to help test all those. Right. And I can see it within labs, you know, you want to have a baseline environment that you can, uh, you know, test different tools, t- test different technologies that you're kicking the tires on to see how well they perform. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it reminds me a little bit. I, I forget how long ago we talked to, uh, I don't know if it was Katie Nichols or somebody else that we talked to about the MITRE attack framework, and mm-hmm. that they had gone through a, a recent exercise where they, you know, got a whole bunch of different technologies and they were testing them against sort of a, a known environment, and they were supposed to be able to detect all sorts of different things that were, you know, be able to map back to the attack framework. Right, and you right. know, how many of these things are you finding yeah. versus not finding? And Jeff, I like. I mean, obviously. We don't have unlimited time to do some of these tests, but I like doing both. Sure. I like going, mm-hmm. spin up my vulnerable containers, and now I go test some stuff against them. But then I want to take that very same product, commercial or open source, and I want to turn it loose on the local network here at Security Weekly and my home network and Adrian's home network mm-hmm. and just see how it does right. in like an actual living, breathing environment where systems are being rebooted, some are turned on, some aren't, some are updating some aren't like they have this mix of software and it's constantly changing right i like to test it in the real world and in in some kind of lab as well 
And I guess what I'm what I'm uh, interested in seeing how well you're you're able to accomplish, or even if you're thinking about it, uh, you know. So you're testing pen testers. You're seeing if they, you know, have a certain amount of degree of skill or degree of knowledge. Um, but I would also think that this is also intended at some point to be a learning experience. Mm. You know how 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 does how does this lend itself to you know, teaching technique techniques and methodologies, you know, whether they ultimately work or not, but you know, how, how well does it, or can it train a pen tester to just, you know, think through a process of, you know, what should I be looking for? What should I be discovering? What should I be trying? Yeah. What looks, what looks weird that I should dig into? What should I just, yeah, yeah. That, let's move well, I mean, on. Paul's there. So what looks weird is, is you know, normal. <laughs> Fair enough. I'd like to reserve that, Jeff, for our stories because Offensive Security yeah. actually put together a blog post very much on this subject, Jeff. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. And it's like a blog post on how to teach uh, in exactly what you're asking. Um, in terms of the technology in this lab uh, or, or Volhub, I wouldn't call it a lab, what I built. I would just call it mm -hmm. vulnerable stuff for testing. Um, right. I think I, I will... One of the goals in using it uh, and having it is... Uh, you know, our intern Dylan right now is trying to learn how post requests work to log into mm -hmm. web applications. And so I'm like, first, we got to teach you how HTTP works because you got to learn how stuff works at the protocol level. I'm like, right. then you've got to understand like um, how to manipulate some of that stuff, like how to actually send post requests or how some of the tools work, how some of the applications work, right? Mm -hmm. Then you've got to understand how to build the application and then you got to understand how to how to troubleshoot it. There's like, you know, steps in understanding like the basic protocols, understanding how those protocols are used by applications, how to build said applications, and then how to secure said applications. Those were the four steps. I'm sorry, I was telling Dylan uh, before. And I think having mm -hmm. these vulnerable containers can give someone like Dylan or any intern or someone learning the ability to go through those steps. I mean, other than learning how HTTP works, like you probably just got to read the protocol spec. I don't know if we all read the protocol spec or we read some articles or we sat Isn't in the class. Isn't that kind of like reading the EULA? Yeah. It, but <laughs> I mean, you got to understand, understand HTTP, the different request types and the header values before right. you can understand how to use Burp Suite and Postman to intercept those. And then you got to understand how an application actually uses those. So like there's a build up to that. And I think mm -hmm. one of the reasons I did this kind of exercise so I could hand this now to Dylan to go, here's how you learn, right? Here's how you stand up Joomla or whatever and, and look at how a web application works. But uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's that's the other sort of large vein of thinking I've I've been having as you're as you're walking through this is, you know, how can you use this to teach the people that are, uh, you know, building the applications or using the applications as as components of you know, applications that they're building to teach them how to do it right in the first place because most of the vulnerable mm -hmm. things that you're putting out there I'm sure, are you know, default settings, misconfigurations, uh, you know, trust relationships, all this stuff that we know is, 
you know, the low hanging fruit that, you know, pen testers would like to move beyond so they can get onto the juicy stuff. Now, I, I absolutely wholeheartedly believe that there's value in learning all that and, 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 and you can read about it or you can experience it. Mm. And I believe the experience is, is, is much more effective than, you know, just reading a, a report or a, 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 you know, a documentation of something. Um, I mean, to I learn how I'm to always configure and defend it you could just hand them a vulnerable container like we created and have them put it on the internet and then defend it that way <laughs> right um, you'd want to keep that far away from any of your other production systems but that'd be one i mean a lot of us learn that way a lot of us like when we for, for me like you first got your cable modem like i stood up a linux server and then all of a sudden there's like wares on it because red hat 5.2 leaves anonymous ftp open and stuff like that and, like oh, i learned by trial by fire how to fix right. my own stuff and many of us did, well i right? mean you know for a lot of us that have been around for a long time that's all we had mm -hmm. um but i i would like to think we Where's could advance on the way that we teach <laughs> uh you know developers and and coders and you know people that are going to be using these these tools and technologies and containers and whatnot so they you know so they can quickly move beyond sort of these obvious mistakes because I yeah. think at the end of the day, a lot of these things are just the obvious mistakes that we know about, but right. they're not exposed to it because their 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 focus is different. That you know, they're trying to get the thing to run, they're trying to meet the deadline and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, I think it'd be interesting. I think it's a good question for Derek too, um, because he probably has some good thoughts and opinions on this. Like what what exists out there that allows someone learning. And that someone could want to be a pen tester or want to work somewhere in cybersecurity. Like what I'm sure there's stuff out there that you have to go build and configure and secure uh, a particular service. CCDC does that right in a live fire exercise. Um, and I'm sure there's other examples out there, but it'd be really cool to have like, uh, and I'm sure it exists, right? A structured lab where you hand someone a really vulnerable piece of software in a container or VM or whatever it is and go, you got to lock this down right and and teach them how to do it that way because that that's one of the i think good use cases for this this type of uh uh containers and software all righty uh again i will be updating the security weekly github page uh, and posting the modifications that i made to uh the examples that i showed uh today uh i just i ran out of time and didn't have a chance to do it right up before the show but i will do that uh and get that up there and you can find all of our uh, code that we create here at Security Weekly in our technical segments uh, on our GitHub page, github.com slash securityweekly. With that, we'll take a short break and come back with none other than Mr. Derek Rook. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.